Today on the longest road, I'm joined by Brian Polian, special teams coach of Notre Dame football. We're joined for a part two. Um, it was almost uh, back in the beginning of January of 2020. We sat down to uh, do part one of this, and um, who would have thought the wild ride that uh, you guys would go on, but <laughs> the world would go on um, in this year. How's everything been, Brian? Good. It's um, like everybody else had to adjust to what the new normal was going to be, um, and the past year has been like, unlike anything I, I think um, any of us have ever been through, but certainly professionally and the family and all those things, it was just, you know, it was just craziness and trying to adjust and keep our heads above water. But, you know, thankfully, uh, our family's healthy. I know a lot of others have, have not been as fortunate and, and um, you know, we're working and grinding and still signing recruits and doing all those things. So, you know, all in all, doing pretty well. And for the folks who hadn't turned into the first episode or really aren't familiar yet with Brian Pullian, who's becoming quite frequently a household name around these parts, um, he is directly tied into all of the recruiting efforts that go into bringing in new elite athletes to Notre Dame. What's that ride been like uh, for you? Because I know this is pretty much kind of not peak season, right? But it's well, we, getting we, towards. There's another signing date coming yeah. here uh, in, in about 10 days or so. That said, um, we signed the vast majority of our class in December. There's two signing dates now. So uh, our recruitment of the 2021 class to Notre Dame is essentially complete. What was that like? It was uh, unbelievable. I'm, it was in education, in, di- <laughs> in digital communication. Um, I had never heard of Zoom no. uh, before the pandemic, and now I'm well-versed. Um, but we signed an entire recruiting class, as did everybody else in college football, without the ability to bring prospects in on visits. And wow. so it really... For me personally, I was forced into a creative space that I've never been in before in terms of how do we essentially build from scratch a virtual visit of the campus? How do we build a virtual presentation that highlights the distinctions of Notre Dame over our competitors? And we really had to design an entire recruiting calendar knowing that you are probably never going to be face-to-face with the prospects that we're recruiting. And my wife likes to joke, in the months of March, April, and May, I did uh, at least 150 virtual presentations from my dining room table in, in my home. And my wife would like just randomly at night just give back a, she'd throw one of the lines from the presentation oh, yeah? back at me you know what was her favorite that she would throw back uh, at you? her her favorite one is is when we'll we'll ask hey do you dream about playing in the nfl and you know they all all the kids say yes say good we want you to and i'll pass her in the hallway and she'll say hey do you want to play in the nfl and i say yeah and she goes good we want you to so um you know, occasionally, yeah, occasionally a dog would go running through the background or my children would come in. But, yeah, I mean, to sign a class and to do all the things that we had to do to function in a digital recruiting world, it was an adventure. Anything that came along the way, I mean, obviously, uh, creating rule books on the fly isn't never easy. Um, but was there anything that came about throughout the recruiting process for you guys that became the first big challenge, the first big hurdle that you guys had to climb over in this virtual age of recruiting? How do you encapsulate the spirit of Notre Dame? How do you get across the beauty of the campus and how unique it is compared to other places? Right. How do you do that in a digital world? And that 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 took some work. And then how do we... Um, how do we highlight the coaches? How do we highlight Coach Kelly? And and um, I, I'm telling you, I learned the difference between uh, PowerPoint and Adobe Spark and why Spark is better. And, you know, these are all thumbnail photos. They can click on these and they'll expand. That's not my world. No, I, <laughs> I coach kickoff, right? So, um, but I was very proud of the efforts of, our staff, our recruiting staff, um, 
Fighting Irish Media on our campus, uh, the cooperation that existed within the athletic department, because a lot of the things that we built, we ended up um, sharing. We Other sports yeah. were kind of using either the same platform or some of the content. Um, it was an adventure, but and, and you know... Again, I'm never going to be a graphic designer, but... <laughs> Not even after this crash course no, tutorial no, no. for you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> so let's shift gears a little bit. Um, we talked a little bit about the recruiting aspect for you. Um, you guys had a first practice back in March of last year, mm-hmm. and, and that was pretty much it, right? Yeah, we, we had the first practice. Or April? No, it was March. It was March. It was spring practice number one. Um and it was an odd setup to the schedule, but it was dictated by the academic mm-hmm. calendar on campus. We were going to have one practice. The team was going to leave campus for spring break, and then we were going to complete the final 14 practices when the team returned to campus. And I remember remarking to Coach Kelly as we walked off the field at the end of spring practice number one, it was as good a spring practice number one as I had ever been a part of. It was crisp. This is your 20 years of coaching. Yes. It was crisp. The ball never touched the ground. Ian looked great. Um, you know, guys were in tune. It was clear that we had all been together for a couple of years. Everything had moved really smoothly. But, and we were excited. Like, hey, everybody's going into a week off now. Yeah. Yo, let's take a breath. And when we get back, we're going to hit the ground running. This is going to be a good football team. And um, we got, I remember being in Charlotte, North Carolina to visit my mom, mom and dad. And, I'm sitting watching ESPN, and it was the night that Rudy Gobert tested positive um, in, a, in, I believe, yeah. the Utah Jazz, yes. if I remember yes. correctly. And the NBA stepped in immediately and said, we are halting play. And that got my attention. I said, oh, boy. And we came back. for. Uh, I came back, uh, and we were getting geared back up. And the university made the decision that they were going to ask students to stay home. And it was it was a shock. It was like, right. wow, okay, this thing is real. It's serious. And um, from that point forward, it felt like every couple of days we were adjusting on the fly. What's this going to look like? Learning uh, our staff was meeting daily via Zoom and, you know, it was it was crazy. Like, hey, if you need to get into your office to get some stuff, that's fine. Wear a mask. Get in. Get out. Like, we really didn't know what was going on quite yet. It was it was a stressful time. So all you guys, all the coaches, pretty much were working from wherever their home base was at that point, whether it's their apartment, condo, house. They're all working away from the facilities at that point. We worked remotely uh, shortly after all of that happened. I think we may have gotten together briefly. How hard was that, honestly, oh, as a coach? It it was... Um, and maybe in this day and age, with all the technology we have... No, I, I found it incredibly stressful. Yeah. I, I found the loss of... I, I don't know. It's hard to describe. I don't know if the average fan would understand. First of all, I've never done anything else, so I, I don't have any other frame of reference. But in the coaching profession, you can count on what your life is going to look like by simply looking at a calendar. All right, at this point of the year, we're in spring football. I'm going to get to work at 6 in the morning. I'm going to get home at 8 at night. We're going to be on the practice field, and then we're going to go right from spring recruiting, and we're going to um, go on the road recruiting, and I'm going to be away from home for five weeks. And then we get into June, and we're going to have summer camps, and then I'm going to get the month of July off. Which and is like, Christmas for you guys, right? Yeah, so it's Christmas like in July. It's, it's 24 years of knowing exactly where you were in the calendar. And out of nowhere, everything hits a complete stop. And everything you've known for 24 years is completely different. And I'll be very honest with you. My wife and I have known each other for 20 years. We've been married for 17. We have never spent more than four weeks where I wasn't 
working. No way. Yeah. So now, yes. So I mean, that's the longest break you'll ever get in coaching. Was she ready to throw you on the street or what? It was an adjustment. <laughs> I mean, we're not used to. And and when I would normally get that time off, we'd be on vacation yeah, somewhere. Of course. We were. We were getting up every day, looking at each other in the house, couldn't go out. Like, that was stressful. Like, w- that was uncharted territory, even in just a marriage. So, I was restless. I was um, frustrated, like everybody else. I mean, it, it look, I, I think everybody handled it differently, and everybody yeah. was challenged, and certainly we were not challenged in the way that other people were but when when people talk about the stress of this thing and and the emotional toll i can relate to that i mean i felt it that's in but it's incredible to see though because even knowing all of that right there and to think about the season that you guys put together this year that's nothing to be said i mean Think about how many teams. You look in the Big Ten, right? Some of those schools didn't even get to finish a full season. Sure. Yet you guys did. I am I am incredibly proud. I know our fans are upset that the season ended the way it did. So so are we. I mean, we're. I love when fans say, boy, you have no idea how much that hurt. Really? I don't? <laughs> like, well, just hearing what you said right there kind of gives us a little insight. Yeah, right? like, I trust me. You think it ruined, you know, your holiday? It ruined mine. I can assure you. Um but I'm really, really, really proud of this team. Uh, people on the outside will never understand the adversity, the frankly, the pressure that they felt to pull this off. Because there was a time, I believe, that Notre Dame's decision to join the ACC for the year and to make a commitment to play, uh, I think, in in part, it saved college football for the fall of 2000, uh, 2020. Right. Uh, I also know for a fact that the university protocols and the things that they were putting into place to try and keep people safe and allow the university to open its doors again, we were the first ones back on campus. We were the first ones that that essentially bubbled up and went through the summer and went to summer school and were working out and were putting all these protocols in place. And the administration and our administration, football-wise, did a phenomenal job. And there were things that we learned on the fly and we adjusted. And but but what our team, what our staff, and and what our administration um, did and went through to pull off this season. I don't think people will ever understand that, and I'm very, very proud of the group. Well, and that's what, like, doing an interview like this uh, hopefully will kind of help us shed light, maybe about a uh, look behind the curtain of what it was like. And um, you kind of did just that right there by telling us a little bit of some of the pressures that they felt. But what was it like for one of your average players on your team to go through that offseason? So the decision came on June 29th that Notre Dame is going to join the ACC. And, and that effectively is a decision that ultimately shaped college football mm-hmm. for the better, I mean, we could honestly say, for that for that season in 2020. But what was the preparation like for each one of those players? And I'm talking about both in the, the sense of when it was virtual, which, I mean, I can't even imagine how do you conduct spring, you know, even group or, or sessions with your guys via uh, a Zoom or a Skype, you know. So how did some of those go? And then the transition from when you guys got back on campus and how do those practices? Well, the reality of it is at the beginning, we were not focused on football. We we had to be there to we nice. had to be there to uh, support our guys emotionally, mentally, physically. I mean, you have 300 pound men back. Not everybody grew up in the house that I did that had plenty of room and no worries about whether or not there was going to be enough food in the fridge. Now you're sending 300 pound guys home and parents are being furloughed and losing jobs and that was stressful and. Um, so our first goal was to simply support our guys. The second goal was how do we get everybody on track academically because the university switched to virtual learning. Right. Now, again, keep in mind, class may occur at 11 a.m. in South Bend. We have a student athlete from Germany. All right. So he's six to seven hours ahead. And we have multiple student athletes from Hawaii who are five to six hours behind. Wow. And these are logistics that people don't think about. Uh, everybody assumes that every wow. every kid's got a laptop and internet access, and that's not always the case. So now they're trying to handle a course load at the University of Notre Dame and do it virtually. 
And so we spent Adam Sargent, his staff, Coach Kelly's leadership in terms of stop worrying about football. Let's make sure our guys are okay. And then let's get them up and running academically. Love that. And then the job that our team did academically in the spring semester of 2020, you know, hats off to them. They were great. Then it became about, okay, when are we bringing – well, let's shift gears. Before we talk about coming back to campus, how do we keep them in shape? Yeah. Nobody had access to a weight room. You know, they weren't working out with us. There were no gyms. So Matt Bayless and the strength staff are designing workouts that can be done at home, can be done. We got into the use of the TheraVans, trying to create resistance through the bands. But really now it's an honor system. Hey, you, you know, we had guys, we have weight concerns. Get on a scale, take a picture, show me what you weigh right now. Whether you're getting too skinny or you're getting too beefy, we need to make sure that we're staying right. on top of it. So there, every day was a different challenge. Every day was what are we concerned about. Then when we got them back in the summertime and got them back on campus, how do we feed them and follow the CDC guidelines? There was uh, this whole year we fed our team with essentially grab and go, right? You know, here's your food, right. have at it, but you, we can't sit together, we can't eat. Um, you know, how do we train them in small groups to follow the guidelines? Uh, how do we keep the weight room and the locker room and the indoor? How do we keep all those areas clean? I mean, the testing, uh, we were grateful to have access to it, but it's fairly intrusive. I mean, you're getting up three three mornings a week and you're getting something stuffed up your nose till your eyes water and you know so there were just there were so many different challenges i mean we we traveled with plexiglass so that when our guys ate there'd be two at a table with a plexiglass divider between the two of them there's a picture that came out that surfaced when that all first came about that i think sticks in the fans of a lot of irish fans all over the place but it shows one of the extremes that you guys had to deal with in that time. Yeah, and it just constantly trying to find ways to keep – how can – and our guys wanted to play. Like, right. How can we play and compete and be safe and be smart? Especially after you guys have yeah. that first spring practice, like you said, because if the coaches are knowing it, then you know the players are walking up the field yeah. feeling pretty good about where they stand. And it was um, – you know, the last part of it is, like, how do they keep developing these bonds? How, Where does the fellowship come from when they're not allowed to congregate together? And that's where, you know, they get creative in the technology. They play video games against each other online. They talk trash through their headphones, you know, the text chains. And, yeah. But, like, I think one of the reasons this group was so much fun to be around, because when we were on the practice field, it's one of the few times we could all be together and – it was fun to be out there, and it was energetic. And we, I, I think, I think it was really good in the sense that y- you don't you don't take those opportunities for granted because you know we could we could have lost them this year. We're talking with Brian Pullian, uh, special teams coach from the University of Notre Dame, here on the Longest Road Podcast. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, much more of this interview. Welcome back to the Longest Road Podcast. I'm joined with Brian Pullian of the University of Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team. We're talking about the 2020 season that was uh, an incredible season nonetheless, but a wild one for Coach Pullian and his entire football team. But let's talk a little bit about how the start of the season came about. We kind of talked about how the preparation came from both the virtual and then once you finally got the guys back. Let's talk a little bit about how the season got going for you guys. Well, the first difference was the university made a decision to start school sooner. And then when the... Did that throw any cogs at you guys or anything like that? It actually did because we were in class, I want to say August 9th or 10th, that they started the fall semester. And the start of our season got pushed back two or three weeks. So we never really had a true training camp where it was, hey, we are here just to practice football. There's no limitations to the amount of hours. We have plenty of meeting time. From the moment we started preparing for the season, we were essentially in, we were, we were in school. 
So we never got that two and a half, three week, hey, this is wall to wall football. Right. We don't have to worry about school. We can start meetings whenever we want. Like this year, you know, the first football meeting wasn't until two in the afternoon because we had class that day. So that was very unique. Like there were some adjustments that had to be made from a, a football perspective, and Coach Kelly was phenomenal. So that was the first change. And then not kicking off until, what, September 12th maybe? It was something like that, right? Yeah, it was a little bit later. And, um, you know, that, that was a little bit different. But like everything else, it was – all right, it is what it is. Let's Pony figure up. it out. We got to deal with it. And, and it seems like that's, that's kind of like the common, the common denominator there is, um, and you know, the, I guess to shine a little bit of light here on on Coach Kelly, but Coach Kelly seems like he was the guy that that allowed you guys to come up with the ideas and then whatever it took to get the job done. You guys did that this year to make your players not only students but also as inept in the athletics side as well yeah i mean his leadership through this he and jack swarbrick father john yeah um all the folks on campus that they were they were phenomenal and there was always a plan i mean if there was ever now there were times we had to adjust but there was always a plan and here's what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and why we're going to do it and and so that as an assistant that was great like you were never caught wondering like where you stood on yeah something. we we knew what we were how we were going to handle things so let's talk about the first game that opened up so september 12th you guys are taking on duke mm-hmm. what was that like finally getting the strap up for the first time well that was great uh here, here's another thing fans don't think about we work the whole off season to prepare for the teams that were on our schedule oh yes like i had I have a Stanford scouting report. I have a USC scouting report. You know, we're getting ready to play Navy in Dublin, Ireland. And your schedule gets wiped out. And so now I'm preparing for teams that in March, April, May in the offseason when you're doing an offseason study, like, oh, my God, we've just – I wasted, you know – 30 man hours yeah. on an opponent that just got wiped off our schedule and now here comes an opponent that I wasn't even thinking about oh my god and now we've got to go you know I'll go 2 3 years back on film looking for things now we got to go chase down all the tape and so by the time we actually got to duke uh, I think everybody was just so happy to play uh, I will tell you that um I was I missed home game weekends i missed the pep rally i missed desperately the walk uh on game day leading into the stadium um we were fortunate in the sense that we had you know 10 12,000 in the stadium i mean we played at boston college where it was empty um but it was odd it was very very odd now once the whistle blows and the ball is kicked you don't really feel it because the competition is the competition right. and you're in work you're, mode. Yeah, you're really focused on your job. But like coming out for pregame warm up in a totally empty Notre Dame stadium felt so odd and so different. And really if you said to me, What's the one thing I really pray that we life gets back to normal for everybody, period. Yeah. But I'm also very hopeful that by the time we kick it off next fall that the game day experience will be like it used to be in some version. Not to jump uh, too far into the season, but did that make the game on November 7th against Clemson that much more special? Yes, it's it'll be one that I'll remember for my entire life and very proud to be a part of it. I said to our players, though, I was like, I, I, I think I said it Monday, I was disappointed for them that, they didn't get to experience that week with campus wide open. Because oh. I remember what USC week was like in 2005 and how from like Tuesday on, how electric the campus was, 50,000 people at the pep rally. You know, look, when when the when the students came down on the field after the Clemson game, you know, while protecting myself, I also took a step back and said, all right, I'm just going to kind of soak this in for a minute. But what would that have been like had there been 80,000 fans? And what would it have been like walking out of the stadium after the game? I walked out after that game and 
you know, there's fencing up so people can't get right, near, right. and you know, I'm trying to find my wife, and it's just, it, it was. Um, was I'm, your dad able to be there for that? No, no, unfortunately, my dad, my dad's just at that age where he's being yeah. hyper, hyper vigilant about, uh, diligent about this stuff, and and. Um, I say your dad only because when you said it, it was as close as these players are going to come to what you experienced in 2005. I go back to our episode last year when we were sitting down. You told me what your dad told you after this. Because son, you don't even realize yeah. how big of a game that you were a part you of. You just played in one of the best college football games in the history of the sport. And but. so, but you got to take a moment after that game and really soak that in. So yeah. I mean, you come full circle. Just 15 years later. Yeah, yeah, and and the fact that it happened in Notre Dame Stadium. In Notre Dame, was really, oh. really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good story right there. So obviously after the game, yeah, did you get a second to take it in? I mean, with everything going on, and this isn't a normal game for you guys, normal season at all. Did you get a second to really soak that in with your family for? A I while? did. I did. My wife and I just kind of took a little bit of time, and we we didn't leave campus till about 12:30 a.m. Oh. And we're driving home, and uh, a, a dear friend in the neighborhood. Um, we called him up, and I woke he and his wife up, and he goes, hey, what are you doing? I said, I can't go to sleep. <laughs> he, said, he said, all right, we'll walk down. He came down. We, we had a drink at the oh. kitchen table and stayed up. I didn't sleep much that night. I don't know that very many people did. but um, No. Yeah, it's just there's there's very few nights like that in your career. That was one of them. I, it's the same way I felt when I was at Texas A&M and we beat Alabama at Alabama. Like I didn't want to go to sleep that night. Just keep showing me the highlights. Let me sip on a beer and let's talk and about just it. Kinda, yeah. So let's it, talk about that game. I mean, obviously that was one of the the that's the bright spot, right? That was that was the sweet spot of the season besides being able to go and play in the college football playoff. But for looking for good points here, right? That seems like that's a highlight for you in your career, at least up there. I thought it was great. I mean, John Doerr set a record for most points scored by a kicker in a single game at Notre Dame. I thought um, we we tackled Travis Etienne inside the 20-yard line, I think, three times. Jack Lamb played out of his mind on the coverage units. Um, you know, defensively, we we did enough at the end of the game. And, and, and when you look back at, you know, I love Ian Book. I'm an Ian Book fan, will be for the rest of my life. He's such a great kid and great competitor. He took our team 92 yards with a minute to go to to tie that game. And it will be – that's no joke. It's an instant classic. And to be a part of it and be on the winning side, and it was, it was you, just awesome. You watching that from the sideline, I mean, obviously – you're already having a career night as a coach because your kicker just obviously made you into a highlight reel for for the evening at least, right? Um, but what was it like to watch 92 yards and kind of be on the oh, uh, the edge just, of your no, you're just in the moment, yeah. like you're literally play by play by play, and yeah. what do we need to do here? And and yeah, I you know there are times that I'll look back on those games and say, wow, I can't, I I didn't remember it that way, but in in the moment. Um, in the moment, you're just so hyper focused, and and you know it's funny though. At 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 the end of one like that, you, we all sit down together in the coach's locker room, and everybody takes a deep breath and says, "Yo, holy cow, did that just happen? Like well, that was that was unreal." So, Who's the first to say it this year? You? Um, I, you know what, Clark Lee and, and I tend to find each other after you know after every game. So after that game, it's obviously hard to come off of that type of high, but um, you guys ended up having to persevere through the rest of the season what was from there to getting to the conference championship game like oh well i mean if i remember correctly i think we went to north carolina either the next no maybe bc but like the north carolina game was was very close and north carolina um one of the most explosive offenses in the country this was a game uh that had been moved to a friday i believe maybe it was the friday after thanksgiving and uh, it was earmarked. Everybody was looking at it, pointing at it, and it was kind of a measuring stick for them. And we went out there and played great and won 31-17. And um, just, you know, there's some things that happened to us down the stretch that, you know, there's no excuses. Everybody deals with, with um Adversity, but losing Jared Patterson, our starting center, that broke is. his foot against Boston College, that was a – that was a really difficult blow. I mean, that was that's the captain of your offensive line, and and uh, that hurt us. And then we got nicked and bumped, and you know. But 
in the end, you know, I, we were. You could see the emotional and physical toll that every that the length of the season was taking on the guys in the midst of the pandemic and school and all those things. And um, but I, I felt like Coach Kelly managed it beautifully. We did everything we could to get them to the games healthy. And and look, we're you know we're 43 and eight in the last four years. You know ultimately our goal is to win a national championship, but we are ta- we're we are gaining ground we're taking steps and and I'm very proud of 43 and 8. I mean there's only three programs in the country that over the last four seasons have 43 wins or more. I mean that's that's pretty good company that we're in. That's uh, a second undefeated regular season in the last 3 years. So um you know proud and and I know at the end, you know, uh when we completed the game in Dallas and and obviously we were disappointed but um you know, I could feel the exhaustion from everybody, the emotional, the physical, the mental exhaustion, like everybody was was done. So, um, you know, player wise, we'll be back on campus here soon and recharged and it's time to get going and get get the 21 version of this team ready to roll. Before we uh, take a break and uh, dive into our last segment, you know, one thing that we forgot to even cover and give the kids credit and you guys credit for as coaches is not only did we have the pandemic to deal with, but we had racial unjust all yeah. over the place. And in sports, we know that hit us home the most. Um, my goodness. Do you think that uh, that all almost added to the toll of just fatigue at the end there as well. I mean, oh, there's no doubt. I mean, this this whole year has been unlike anything. Um, it's worth pointing out, and we talk about this a lot. When you look at the way our university, our players, uh, our staff handled the summer and the social justice movement and the unrest uh, that was permeating throughout the country. Uh, there were there were programs in the country that were di- discouraging their players from expressing themselves, and I thought that Coach Kelly was magnificent. He said, "Not only are we not going to discourage, we are going to encourage our players to use their voices. And not only are we going to encourage them, we're going to make our creative staff available to them, our graphic designers, our social media people, wow. and we are going to amplify their voices." Um, a player might have 2,000 Twitter followers. The Notre Dame football count's got a half a million, roughly. So we're going to allow you to use our platforms to express yourself. And that was a great lesson in terms of supporting your players and, and you know, being about the right things. We're, we weren't worried about... If we're going to upset somebody, right. what what we were talking about here was far too important to worry about whether or not we're going to upset some folks. He wanted to make sure that our players, especially our young minority players, understood that they were supported. And then the other parts of that were, okay, and, and this was something that I, I took very seriously. Okay, I don't understand what it's like to be a 20-year-old black man in America. And I'm not going to pretend that I do. So tell me. Talk to me. Help me understand. I just want to listen. And I'm going to ask questions. And help me understand the challenges that you face. And I can't solve them. But I can be here to listen and hopefully in the process learn a whole lot more than I know at this point. I I don't know how much you guys were told this, but hats off to you guys for that. Because honestly, you guys were. You were trendsetters. In, um, I, I shouldn't even say trendsetters. You honestly, you guys took a step forward when other universities were not. And uh, your boys, your kids, your team, your school has to be proud of the way you as coaches all handled that. Well, I hope that they are. I can't speak for anybody else, but I can tell you that watching the way Coach Kelly conducted himself and supported our team through that was a great lesson you know being able to watch that up close and personal and thank you for sharing that well we're going to take a quick break when we come back though here on the longest road we're going to talk about coach polian's new book that he has coming out (laughs) 
Welcome back to the Longest Road Podcast. I'm Josh Williams, joined with Coach Brian Polian of the University of Notre Dame Fighting Irish football team. We're talking now with him about his new book coming out. Well, it actually came out at the tail end of last year, but it's called Coaching and Teaching Generation Z, Honor the Relationships. Did I say that <laughs> Long right? title. Yeah. Yeah. No, you got it. Yeah. I, I had a, a friend in the media world tell me, that, hey, dude, whoever... Whoever told you that title was okay, didn't you do you any favors? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, actually, when I started the project, the title was reversed. It was Honor the Relationships. But the publisher was was afraid people were going to think it was like a, a, a self-help book to get oh, along no. with your spouse. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so the story behind this, um, at, the, at the end of my time at the University of Nevada as the head coach, um, I started to... Whenever something doesn't end the way that you want it to, and frankly, it seldom does in life, endings are usually not good, um, you, you know, you're going to take some time to self-reflect. And I looked back and I said, what could I have done better? Where where would I do things differently moving forward? And I hope to get that chance someday to, to run my own program again. Um, and, and I thought about... I needed to do – I did a better job in the last couple of years in terms of going out of my way to build relationships with the players. But it was just kind of a – it was a general thought that was in my head. Fast forward, Coach Kelly and I are on a recruiting visit together to um, – uh, First stint or second stint? Uh, no. I'm sorry, first stint at Notre Dame or second? No, second. I'm back with Coach Kelly after my time at Nevada. And we're we're sitting in the headmaster's office at um, a, an all-boys Catholic high school in Worcester, Mass. And we're waiting for uh, the prospect that we're there to see to come down. And we're sitting with the headmaster of, of the school. And Coach Kelly said, hey, listen, you're in charge of about a 1,000 boys here. What can you tell us? What What's the one thing that you can help us with? And, and this gentleman looked right at Coach Kelly, and he said, it's very simple. You have to honor the relationships before you can ever ask them to honor a task. Young people today are relational learners. They, they are not going to uh, absorb information and move forward unless they believe they have a relationship and they trust the person that they're working with. They literally care more about the who than they do the what. And that one sentence that we have to honor the relationship before we can honor the task. That just was like a light bulb for me. That one sentence was like, yes, that's what I've been working through. That's what I've been been dealing with. Not dealing with, but that's kind of that that encapsulated all the the different thoughts I had had about how the student athletes we work with are changing and how coaching is changing. And so I literally typed it into my phone. I pulled up my notes app and typed it in and put the date. And so it was rattling around in my head. We get, I get a call um, from the Indiana High School Coaches Association. This is, we have a clinic down in Indianapolis. We'd like you to come down and speak. And I said, good, here's the deal. I'm happy to do it. You usually do an hour at these things. Yeah. I said, give me two hours. I'll do one hardcore football. We'll put drill tape up there and do all that stuff. But I said, I want to I talk big picture stuff for another hour. And I built this outline for a clinic presentation about how important relationships are, why we have to do a better job as coaches of building them, and how um, if you're if you truly want to win by building relationships, you're 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 building a better football team. So I gave the talk, and it was very well received. I had multiple high school coaches come up and say, hey, listen, that was awesome. Not enough people talk about this stuff. And and I talked about different ways to teach this generation compared to when we came up 20 years ago. And um, so that was it, right? I did the – I talked – kickoff coverage for an hour i <laughs> talked about this i had a nice little clinic presentation that now i could give at any point yeah and okay this is cool um and then the pandemic hit and so we're all locked in our homes and you know we're i'm helping manage our world in football but there's a lot of time in the day and I was really restless. I felt like I have no purpose right now. I was frustrated. Oh, man. I'm pacing around the house. 
and my wife Laura and my dad Bill on separate occasions in two different conversations were like listen you will never have this time again as long as you work in college football or football in general you're never going to have this chunk of time so what are you going to do with it my wife's like read Chaucer what whatever you know read Frost whatever it is that you're going to do what, what is it that you want to do that you've never done and my dad's like same thing like take advantage of this and I made the decision you know what I really care about this talk I gave I'm going to write a book and I did I just made a decision in April and said I'm going to take the outline of this of this presentation I gave this clinic talk and I retooled it a little bit and and obviously did a much deeper dive but I'm like this is the outline of a book and sure enough it's look it's not War and Peace. It's 110 pages, but I do. I've gotten enough feedback now from people who teach, who coach, who manage, right? And and they have found it useful, valuable, and I'm very proud of that. But yeah, I just I made a decision. Hey, I'm going to do this. I started writing in April. I probably put the final touches on it in late July and sent it off to uh, found a publisher that wanted that was excited yeah. about it and um, so yeah so now we're we're a published author <laughs> that's incredible so a year later Brian Polian's a published author I mean he was talking about some of the folks who have uh, you know you know made comments on this book right now and Tony Dungy Mike Golig uh, the name a few have had nothing but wonderful things to say um, about the book and about you and how your insight over the last 20 24 20 years has helped you um, kind of define this book for yourself but also I mean even your dad says you know growing up with this I mean it's a unique situation for you to grow up literally on the sideline of football royalty but you did and it's amazing that you're literally putting all this on paper though for for everyone and people may get the impression that this is a football coaching book but it's not though no it is not It, it is not i use football anecdotes uh, as a way to illustrate points, but it is not a football book, and frankly, it's not a coaching book. At no point in this in this project are we talking about step with your inside foot and shoot you, you know shoot your arms and get your eyes to the sky. This is not. I'm not going to learn the swimming. No, you are not. Okay. Uh, there, it's not a football book. It is an educator's book. It's about um, why. First of all, why is it important? There's a term and there's a there's a term it's it's really interesting um when you get edited right yeah i had a paragraph like halfway through the book that i was like this is a great paragraph like this i i hit what i was the mark i was aiming for here and the editor was like yeah it's awesome but it needs to be in the introduction (laughs) because it's really it really kind of wraps up what you're trying to do here when a scout comes in to talk to us about a Notre Dame player, an NFL scout, occasionally you will hear somebody use the term, he's a relationship guy. What does that mean? If he really trusts his position coach and there's a comfort level there, that's when you get the best out of him. Well, I take the theory, I take the stance, we're all relationship guys. Who among us doesn't produce our best stuff? When we are around people that we have relationships with, that we care for, that care about us. Absolutely. So I take the stance that as an educator and a teacher and a coach, which is what I am, or as a parent for that matter, or as somebody that manages young people at work, all right, if I want to get the best out of my people, if I want them in their best possible headspace, feeling their best, communicating their best, then I've got to go out of my way to build relationships with them. And what we explore in the book is why is it so important? And the research proves, like, if you have good relationships, you heal faster from illness and injury. You're more likely to seek help because you're comfortable in your own skin. Like, you can literally... If you want your team to do X, Y, Z, go out of your way to to build relationships with them. And then we illustrate points on how to do it. What are the building blocks? Time, uh, 
love trust respect you know yeah and so we just kind of explore those things and then i think there's some really nuts and bolts helpful tips in this book about giving and receiving feedback about um you know how to better connect with generation z because they are different so it was a fun exercise I don't know that I'd do it again. <laughs> no, not but, again. It's a one-time thing. It was it was a slog, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell you what, if 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 you are if you care deeply about what you do, which I do, yeah. um, and then you hand it over to an editor who's gonna, you know, you know I got scolded for ending too many sentences in a preposition. It's like, <laughs> all right. You guys okay. realize I'm a football coach, not a, a writer. Although here. I will say this, I received a very, very um, nice compliment from the editor who deals yeah. with a lot of coaches, and he said, "This is the first one I ever read that the first draft did not read like a football coach had written it." <laughs> so, well, I appreciate that. Well, at least you didn't, you know, do yourself any disservice and have another football coach write it for you, <laughs> right. right? I mean, I think Bill Walsh had what? Uh, what, what Brian was... Billick helped him with <laughs> yeah. his book. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of it uh i've gotten really good feedback i think it's the type of thing that could end up in a classroom at some point that's i mean i've received some feedback from some places that have sports management degrees where you know philosophy of coaching is is part of part of what they do and and um you know i've received feedback that there, there could be a place for it there which in the end i wasn't I wasn't trying to make money. I'm not going right. to make money. Um, too many people want a freebie. So, uh, but I, I do think that there's a place for it, and especially you know the young coaches. This is almost like all right. If I sat down with my 25 year old self and said, "Here are the things that you need to think about in order to make yourself better," that's kind of what it is. See, you're coming full circle, and and that's we actually closed out last year's part one episode by I asked you a question of what would you tell yourself looking back at a certain situation, and um, and what would you tell the younger folks um, in this generation, and obviously with this book here. What do you think is, if you can take one thing away from your 20 years here and coaching younger folks, what's the one thing that's just so different about these guys? Oh, they crave interpersonal relationship in yeah. a way that 20 years ago, uh, you didn't want to be around. A lot of guys didn't want to be around our coaches. Yeah. Like, and it was like, hey, do this because I told you to. I'm the coach. You're the player. Those are our roles. And it is what it is. And, and now... Um, the relationships that we develop with our student athletes off the field and beyond athletics um the 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 young people crave those and they're at their best generally when those relationships are present what i have learned in through experience and gray hair and all the things that we go through uh there was a time in my career where it was i want the next better job there was a time in my career when it was I'm a better coach than he is but look at the money he makes so I've got to get to that money or I'm not valued the way that I should be um, I have a box full of bull watches I have a you know I have five or six rings that uh, you know I'll, I'll pass on to my kids at some point in the end that's not what's important and it's not the single biggest reward of what we do the single biggest reward in what we do professionally is the relationships that we develop and trying to be impactful in the lives of these young people. Kyle McCarthy was a captain at Notre Dame. He was my first ever recruit here in 2005. Kyle McCarthy is as good a friend as I have in my life right now. And in fact, he works, he is serves as one of my representatives professionally um that's what's great not a watch that we got from the citrus bowl it's or you know those those memories are great but the the relationships those are the best parts about this job my my assistant here for the last two years um who clark lee stole and brought with him to <laughs> vanderbilt but my assistant here was a young man by the name of asani rufus asani uh, was a recruit of mine at Nevada. He was a starting free safety for us for three years, was a captain, and 
you know, I was able to bring Asani here, get him started in the coaching profession, was was able to share when he got engaged, albeit his wedding. Like those are the th- and 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 Clark Lee brought Asani Rufus to Vanderbilt because he deserves to be there, and because Asani's going to be a great young coach, and to be able to share that journey with him and hopefully be a positive impact on that journey for him. That's the best part of what we do. It's not. Don't trust me. We all like money. <laughs> Money's good. All that stuff's great, but you know. You don't realize that when you're 30. Like when you're 30, you're trying to climb. What's the next? And some guys never stop climbing. And you know they 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 see their value in the logo that they wear on their chest or however much money they make. But um, I've I've come around to the fact that it's it's the other things that are most important. Full circle, Brian. Yep. That's outstanding. Um, honestly, I think that uh, pretty much concludes everything. I want to make sure I give you the opportunity here. Uh, you know, obviously, fans are still a little bit, uh, you know, in their feelings a little bit, I think, as the youth would say. <laughs> um, is there any message for them, uh, helping them see that there is light in 2021? <laughs> Yeah, you could do a whole lot worse than 43 and 8 over the last four years. Like, you know. I love it. So it's, uh, no, our fan base is awesome. We appreciate them. Um, I don't listen to what any of you say on Twitter. But but, um, this this is a really great group of young men who represent the school the right way. We do things the right way. Um, And yet here we are competing you know with the top six or eight teams in the country every year we 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 work tirelessly to get over the hump and and get there but um i'm grateful to be here i love this fan base i love this university and um all we do every day is grind to try and win one of these championships ah Excellent. Uh, and Coach Polian, thank you so much for taking time. Um, and again, make sure you check out Coaching and Teaching Generation Z, Honor the Relationships. You can find that on Amazon. Uh, the last I checked, though, it was sold out, so it must be a pretty hot commodity. I don't think we stocked them up with enough on the get-go. On? I will say this, though. <laughs> uh, if anybody so desires, order on Amazon. Even though it says out of stock, they will deliver. Okay. And the publisher is CoachesChoice.com. And you can go to their website and order it as well. And it is, um, it's been very humbling, and I'm very grateful for the support that we received from folks that have gone out and bought it. Absolutely. Well, Coach, thank you for taking the time. We look forward to maybe a part three. I don't know. Maybe this has become an annual thing. <laughs> can't I can't be that entertaining, but I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Absolutely. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.